Thank you, Zeke. Aloha, everybody. It's a pleasure, as always, to have the opportunity to bring the word of the Lord to you. And I want to uh, thank Noah, before we get started, for giving us a little introduction to the book of Job last week. For those of you who don't know me, we have some visitors with us today. Uh, I'm a longtime uh, pastor. I began pastoring in 1982 in San Jose, California, and pastored in uh, Orville, California for 20 years um, prior to uh, leaving California and going to back to my home area in Indiana, preaching for five years till 2012. And my daughter, who was living here in Maui, when I left California, she, lived, she moved here to Maui. And when I retired in 2012, she says, come dad, come mom, if you'll come here to Maui, I'll take care of you when you get old. And uh, we didn't have to think about that too much. And here we are, and we've been here since 2012. We've been part of KBC here for four years now, and love it. And miss Pastor Randy today. Um, you know, I'll fill in for him, but uh, we do miss him when he's gone. And I'm thankful for the opportunity. So we're going to talk about the, a little bit about the book of Job today. How many have ever read Job, the book? Oh, good, a lot of you have. So I'm not starting from scratch. If you go to the first three verses of the first chapter, you'll find out that Job is an incredible man of God, one of my heroes. And it says here, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now we know that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. So the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. And, and so this is what God says about the man Job. His testimony I wonder what God would say about me or what God would say about you. We'll find out about that someday. But Job was blameless. He wasn't perfect, but he had every of his life committed to the Lord and it allowed him to, uh, to have a blameless life. And he was upright. He tried to do what was right in his life. He feared God and he shunned, he turned away from evil. This was the testimony of Job. Although uh, God allowed Satan, who came to uh, God, and, and, and God allowed Satan to mess with Job. If you've read the book of Job, you know what we're talking about. First, Satan takes away all his possessions, Job's mighty possessions that we saw here in verse 3. Then he took, he took away Job's seven sons and three daughters. How catastrophic, what a tremendous calamity that was. I mean, if you can imagine just losing one of your children, how horrible that is. Uh, I have a neighbor that a few weeks ago lost his little cat that he'd had for 10 years. And he's just devastated still three weeks later. By the way, I put on Members Connect. If any of you are cat people, would you come and see me? Because I have a lot of cat litter and uh, food and some other things that uh, he wants to donate. 
he won't take another cat right now he's still grieving for his cat and so uh, see me afterwards if you're interested in that nobody's contacted me yet and this is just a cat I lost a dog that I had for many years so I know where he's at but to lose all your children oh, just rip the heart right out of your chest and then Satan was allowed to take away his health in the second round and just devastated Joe from head to, head to toe. And uh, Joe suffered immensely. He had three fins come along and uh, stay with him for a week. And they were right there, solid for a week. Didn't say much. But then, after a week, they started talking about um, God's nature and how, you know, a fallen man, if we uh, give ourselves over to God, he's going to fix things and make things right in your life. And if there's things wrong in your life, it's probably because there's sin in your life and you haven't dealt with it yet, and on and on and on. And uh, generally truths, but in this particular situation, they were wrong. So we get to chapter 26 and Job starts a discourse. One chapter. And then chapter 27 and 28, where we're, we're going to be here today in chapter 28, if you just came in, Job chapter 28. He goes in... Um, has a second round, and we see about that here this morning. And then in chapters 29, 30, and 31, he has his last little round. He kind of goes through three rounds of discourse. And then a younger man comes in. He's really upset that Job's friends couldn't handle this situation, and he puts his two cents in. And then finally, when it's all said and done, chapter 38 to 42, God steps in, and he tells it like it is. If you haven't read that, whoa, um, God, he knows what he's talking about. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of background where we're at here this morning. So we're in this second discourse here, and he gets into the area, what I've entitled the riches. By the way, I hope that you got an outline, uh, they should have been handed out this morning, on true riches, Job chapter 28. He starts out here at the beginning of the chapter, in these first uh, 11 verses, and I know that um, Ezekiel read those, but I wanna, I'm going to reread those again, not in the ESV that we have, but, um, but I'm going to read it in the, in the Good News Bible. It's a paraphrase, but it makes it a little easier in all this uh, industrial mining work that's going on. So if you'll listen, bear with me, listen to me. Uh, it is, there are mines where silver is dug. There are places where gold is refined. We dig iron out of the ground and melt copper out of the stones. Miners explore the deepest darkness. They search the depths of the earth and dig for rocks in the darkness. Far from where anyone lives or human feet ever travel, they dig the shafts of mines. There they work in loneliness, clinging to ropes in the pits. Food grows out of the earth, but underneath that same earth, all is torn up and crushed. The stones of the earth contain sapphires and its dust contains gold. No hawk has seen the roads to the mines. No vulture ever flies over them. No lion or other fierce beast ever travels those lonely roads. Miners dig the hardest rocks, dig mountains away at their base. And as they tunnel through the rocks, they discover precious stones. They dig to the sources of rivers and bring to light what is hidden. So we get a picture here of men who are in search of earthly riches, metals, and stones. In the first couple verses here, let's go back to the ESV. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm here. Um, it talks about here silver coming from the earth, gold coming from the earth, iron, copper, and later on we get to verses 16 through 19, we're going to see some more, in the, and also as far as uh, stones, uh, sapphire. We're going to see more of uh, precious stones as we get to later verses. But this was written a long time ago in a land far away from us. But in that time, they were still searching out metals and precious stones. Why? Because of their use. Uh, to go from making something out of wood to making things out of metals, wow, what a, a big increase that, uh, that is. And they mine from then, they mine from today, it's still big business. And actually the reality is, uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 22, I'll read that to you. This is one of Cain's descendants. Genesis chapter 4, at the beginning of the Bible. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So even back from the beginning, they saw that there was elements in the dust, that metals that they could do and maybe and really increase their lot in life. Instead of a poor farmer using a stick to maybe dig up furrows in the ground to plant his seeds, they could have a, a tool of, of bronze or a tool of iron or maybe a tool of, of steel and let a horse pull that. Eh? Or maybe two horses. Or maybe now when we got engines, let a John Deere do that. Amen? Much easier life, much more proficient, and getting a lot of the work done. So even Cain's descendant, and when you think of it, it talks about him making bronze. It's basically a metal alloy where copper is the, uh, the primary metal. And iron, uh, very common metal in the earth's crust, not normally just iron by itself, but mixed with other things, very common. And we know what iron is, and then iron is the basis for steel as well, as pro progress has uh, enabled us to make all kinds of amazing steels. If you look, if I'll just read to you some of the things that are found in verses 16 and 19 that these miners also look for. Onyx, glass, crystal, quartz, even coral and pearls from the sea are mentioned later on. Jasper, rubies, topaz, depending upon your translation, you'll see a... Uh, uh, some of those things there. But uh, men searching for ways to, to, to better life, to have an amazing life here on earth with metals and precious stones. What is their value? Well, they were precious then. Why were they precious? Because they're rare. Silver, gold, rare elements. There's a list of, of the elements on the periodic table that are... Uh, according to their mass in the earth's crust and there's like 80 low 80s or something of that of the number of the elements that are listed there and and gold number 72 on the list so you see people always looking for gold it's pretty rare and it's still like so valuable today and silver those are the two big things when you talk about iron when you talk about copper they have values in life that are just amazing if you kind of go back and think about the difference between now having metals and maybe a day when there were just people using wood, okay? Think about maybe Navy ships. 
the old-fashioned Navy ships that were made out of wood, and they used the wind as propulsion from sails, and they had men down there with oars. One, go, go, go. Can you imagine that kind of job? How many of you ever saw the movie Ben-Hur? Yeah, Ben-Hur was one of those slaves that was doing the roar, the oars. And now today, what do we have? Ships out of iron and steel with sophisticated weaponry that was never even dreamed of back in then, in those days. And all kinds of communications and electronics and just having this metal, wow, so incredibly value, valuable. And then in those days, they made those searches for early, earthly riches. And where did they come from? They came from rocks underground or inside of a mountain, or down in the earth's crust, doing mining shafts and things like that. And that's what this is pretty much uh, describing here. Look at verses 3 and 4. Man puts an end to the darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore, that's the basic material, in gloom and deep darkness, down in a mining pit. He puts his lights down there so he can see what, what's down there. Verse 4, he opens up shafts in the valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far from, away from mankind and swing to and fro. So you can see how much effort and how hard it is to get these things out of the earth. But their value makes it profitable. It did then from the beginning and it still does today. Verses 9 and 10, man puts out puts his hand into the flinty rock and overturns the mountains by its roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes sees every precious thing. So that's what the whole idea of these earthly riches are. You go down in these caves and you make your own caves and you look for precious things. You bring them back and wow, you can do something really amazing with them. And men would get earthly riches from this. We would all benefit by the work that these miners do. They're under the rocks. Uh, and you know, man only can do this. Look at verses 7 and 8. Go back there. That path no bird of prey knows. And the falcon's eye has not seen it. Why? Well, they're up there in the sky soaring around. And they can see a lot up there. Especially those like an eagle has great eyesight. And we fly in jets today, and you look out the window, and if you had a pair of binoculars, you could see real well. But you couldn't see down in these mine shafts where these men are working hard in the dark. And the beasts of the field, like lions and other proud beasts, they're not going to go down in those shafts. They might go around the mountain, and the birds will fly over the mountain, but neither one of these in the, from the animal kingdom are down there working in the mines. Matter of fact, I, I think the only thing, the only animal that I can think of that's down in the mines is a canary. <laughs> oh, they take the little canary down there. Oh, my favorite little birdie. And so they keep their eye on the canary, and if the canary kicks over and he dies, they know they got to get out of there because the air is not good. Poor sacrificial canary. Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The canary was a sacrifice for the miners in case the air went bad. So it's a lot of effort. And then verse 11, we'll finish this section up. He cuts out, uh, he dams up the streams so they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. The precious things, things that are hidden. 
These are things that are uncovered. They even look under streams for things like gold panning. Anybody here ever do gold panning? Beverly has. I did up in the Sierra Nevadas with a friend. We went to what he called the diggins. And I did some gold panning up there. I was expecting to find a nugget like this big. Yeah, right. They've been looking for those since the 1840s or whatever it's been. And uh, if I would have looked on the, the list and saw that that was item number 72 on the rarest metals, yeah, right. Hope. But men go to that kind of effort to get the riches, earthly riches, earthly riches that are temporary, earthly riches that we leave behind. How many of our riches do we leave behind? All of them. And we may leave them to some child or grandchild that doesn't really care about life and goes out and spends all your inheritance in one day or one week that you worked your lifetime for. Oh well. Earthly riches, they're temporary. You leave them behind. And the same is true today. But we get to verse 12 now. In this subject of true riches, what about, what about riches that last forever? Riches or treasures that last forever. There are riches that last forever. In eternity, for all of eternity. Jesus said, John, uh, Matthew chapter 6, what did he say? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, talk about the metals that rust out, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. He said, instead, lay up for your store up for, your, for yourselves, store up for yourselves, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And then he, he finishes it up by saying, for where your heart is, that's where your treasures are. So instead of us today, maybe not being miners, but taking advantage of all the mining and all the, the industrial and, and manufacturing that takes place for us to get the riches of this world. Instead of us pouring our efforts into that that we leave behind, maybe we should listen to the words of our Lord Jesus who said don't be storing up those kind of treasures on earth. But yet we in the church, sometimes we're still into that mindset because that's the way it is in the world with everybody around us. We saw that growing up and we think, oh, that's what we need to do in this world. And there are comfort creature, creature comforts that come from all this. I mean, if, if I get a flat tire, first thing I'm going to do is probably call Travis and say, Travis, I got this nail in my tire. Can I get it fixed? He says, is it in the outer band? I go, yeah. He says, you got to buy a new tire. Mm. Okay, I'll go buy a new tire. A rich person goes, oh, I got a flat tire. I'm going to go out and buy a new car. I wonder if there's anybody here with that mindset, okay? Wow, that's what riches can do. And you don't have to worry about flat tires. Just go buy a new car. Oh, I need a new one anyway. It's only a year old. But how about riches that last forever? Eternal riches. 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul writes Timothy, verses 17 to 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's not a sin to have good things. 
God's provided for us everything to richly enjoy. But how valuable they are in your scheme of living and what you do with them does matter. And some people will completely fall apart if they, if they lose their job or they lose their stocks or whatever, okay? Sure, that's serious business. But he says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. These people are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future in this life and the next life to come. Or earlier, Timothy, Paul had written to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Part of my Sunday school lesson, uh, we're doing spiritual disciplines. Uh, Matt is with us today. Welcome back, Matt. He taught the course a couple years back and uh, had a pretty good response. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, in the class, our, our verse is, uh, our passage is, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as holds promise for the present life and the life to come. How many people don't even consider the life to come as to be thinking about what do I do now about the life to come? But Paul told Timothy, train yourself for godliness. You see the training, like doing push-ups for the body to make that body stronger, okay? Training for godliness makes you more godly. So you do the spiritual disciplines. If you don't have a Sunday school class, I encourage you to come in. Today we talked about how important reading the Bible is. And have a Bible reading plan. Anyway, this is what Paul told Timothy. So, I, I say, having read these and other scriptures, that maybe we should think and live with eternity in mind. This thing that I'm going to think about. This thing that I'm going to do, how does it impact eternity in my life and the life of others? Now we're starting to get to the subject of having eternal riches. So here's Job asking in verse 12. We're starting in verse 12 now. Part 2, the source of eternal riches. riches. It's wisdom and understanding. So he says, where, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? You see, this whole passage that Job has been going through with his friends is what is really God's ways and what is the wise thing to do about it and what are not God's ways. What, what is the understanding here? And, and compared to what your situation is, Job, with all this suffering that's going on in your life right now. And this is how we think um, you could benefit by um, changing your ways. So Job gets into it here in verse 28, or chapter 28. Okay. The answer to that, is it in the land of the living? Look at the next verse, 13. Man does not know its worth. We'll see that in a moment. It is not found in the land of the living. Hey, understanding. Hey, wisdom, where are you at? Lynn, did you see it? Maddie, did you find it? Have you, have you heard of it? Kelly, welcome back. Uh, did you find it in Canada while you were gone? It's not in the land of the living. Hmm, that makes it a problem. Where shall we get it? What is it? You know, we answer, when we ask the questions that we all, all ask, maybe we stay away from it, but when it gets down to, who am I? 
what, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? And you try to answer those questions. And you ask your friends, well, why are we here? What's the purpose and the meaning of life? And they go, I don't know. Why are you asking? Let's go have a beer. You know, whoa. Don't you, aren't you interested in that kind of stuff? And <clears throat> where do we come from? Why is there so much suffering in this world, especially that was relevant for Job? And why is there death? My friend John could ask, why did my cat have to die? If you've lost one recently, a loved one, why did that person have to die? Especially maybe when the person was young and died before his or her time. Why are all these, what is this all about? Well, when you look for understanding and wisdom for those questions, it's not found in the land of the living. Everybody's got their opinions, and opinions are a mile long. Then he goes, and you think, well, what about, where is it found at? He goes on to say, uh, it's not in the land of the living. The deep, it says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. The oceans and all their depth and all uh, out there, if it's not in the land and it's not in the oceans, well, then where is it? Maybe if you have enough money of these earthly riches, you could buy it. But it goes in 16 to 19, it says there, it cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. I don't care how much riches you have. You can't buy understanding and wisdom in this life. It's just not, doesn't have a price. But you say everything has a price. Well, not everything has a price. Health may not really have a price. You can be rich and get the finest health care. But you know what? Doctors still die, don't they? Sometimes... The medical people aren't as smart as you think they are, and I'm not offending any medical people, but I used to drive by the hospital and see healthcare workers outside smoking. And I'm going, oh my, that's not very smart. And you can buy people. Almost everybody has a price. I was reading in my devotions this morning that a man will will lie for a, a piece of bread. Well, he's got to be pretty hungry. But what if I offered that to you? Say you were going to court. And I said, would you lie? Would you lie and not tell the truth if I gave you $100? Would you do that? I'd, I'd say, no, I'm not going to lie. Well, what if I offered you $500? $1,000? A million dollars. Hmm. A lot of people might be tempted to lie depending on how much money you put in the situation. So people can typically be bought. I don't want to be one of those people. Okay? 
understanding, wisdom, it's not found in the land of the living, and you can't buy it with all the money that there is. Well, in the verses 20 to 22, how about in death? He asks the same question again in verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Before we get to verse 22, here are the birds again. You'd think if anybody could see it, their bird's eye view would be looking down. No, not going to happen. Verse 22, Abaddon, that's the place of destruction. And death, that's where the dead people are. We've heard rumors with it with our ears. So in the land of the living, you can't find it anywhere in the world. You can't find it even among the dead anywhere. So is it hopeless? What about, where are we going to get understanding and wisdom? Well, guess what? It is not hopeless. The eternal riches of true understanding of what the meaning of life is and all that goes with it and the wisdom that is involved in all that can be found. If you have an outline, number three, the secret found. Guess what? God knows. Look at verse 23. He just jumps right into it here. God understands the way to it, understanding and wisdom. He knows its place. Well, of course God does. Amen? Amen? Doesn't God know this? After all, He's the one that set it all up. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens. Our atmosphere, the place where the stars are, our sun our, and stars are out in the heavens. He created that, all that, the earth and the heavens. He knows everything. He is the one, he's the mastermind. There's none before him, none like him. There never was, there never will be from everlasting. He alone is God, the sovereign one. He is the true God. The Lord is the true God, the, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one that knows everything, and he's omnipresent so he can see and know, and he has the power to take care of everything. He, he is the source of wisdom and understanding. And then um, Job diverts just a little bit here, and I find it very interesting to kind of just give a little bitty glimpse of God, which if you read chapters 38 to 42, you get a really big glimpse of God. And he goes on to say, <clears throat> verse 24, for he, God, looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Check. When he gave the wind its weight, oh, I, I wasn't going to put wind on a scale and weigh it, Maybe it's the weight that it hits me with or the force that it hits me with. And we know the difference between a gentle trade wind breeze and a hurricane wind. Amen? It's got different weight. It's got different force. And apportion the waters by, the, by measure. You know, it really comforts me. For the last five, let's see, since 2014, five to six years now, I lived across the street from the ocean. Not too close. I live on Halimau Olu, Ekolu, right across from Waihu Terrace uh, on the Mauka side. And so we've got, no, we got the Waihu Beach Road there. And on the other side, there's some houses and maybe some, you know, green stuff. And there's the ocean. So I really can't see it because there's too much green stuff. But I'm close. But it's very comforting to me when I read the Bible and said, God made a law that it's not going to go over the shore. 
Uh, tsunamis happen once in a while, but most of the time, I can be comforted that I'm not going to be swallowed up by the ocean at night. Amen? We all live on an island here, folks. And we're surrounded with, we're surrounded with water. What? Oh, we live on an island. And God has measured out the water. He's got it all planned out. So you can go to bed and you can lay your head down at night and sleep and think, okay, I'm not going to be swallowed up by the ocean while I sleep. And then he says, when he made the decree for the rain and for the lightning of the thunder. So God's got this whole weather and earth thing all established. And then Job just leaves it at that. Okay. Verse 27. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And then he said to man, verse 28, God knows the way to wisdom. He alone knows the way to wisdom. You can now know the way to wisdom because look what it says. And God said to man, it should be an E.F. Hutton moment. God is speaking. And what does he say? Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. That's what he has to say to you this morning. So what does that mean? To fear the Lord. By the way, this phrase is used many times in the Bible. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook and you look at my page for the last week, I put a fear the Lord verse on there every day. And there's a lot of very cool ones. But right here, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. You want to be wise? You fear the Lord. What does that mean to fear God? It is a deep, reverential respect and awe for the one who made everything. He is a sovereign, transcendent creator and keeper. He made everything, what you can see and what you can't see. He made it out of nothing. He spoke and it came into existence. And he has made everything so precise and so intricate in the area of life that he made you and there was never or there never will be another person in all of creation from the beginning to the end just like you. You are a unique being. And if you've ever made something and you go, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm looking at this piece of paper lying on the floor, Parker. Did you, paint, uh, did you uh, color that? That one over there? No, over there. By your fa father's foot. Did you paint that, color that one? That's a unique creation. He probably likes it. Most of the time you're not going to wad it up and throw away because you went to the effort to make it. God went to the effort, the extreme effort to make you unique. And he loves you. Nothing can ever change that. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. People will tell you he doesn't care. There's no God. They'll tell you all these things, but they're lying to you. And just looking at how you are, how wonderfully and fearfully made he made you. You're a very special being in his eyes. And he made us as human beings. Now, we're not animals. Animals are animals. We are human beings made in the image of God. Special, unique. And he says to you, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And so you have this respect for your maker. <clears throat> and then you honor him with that. You exalt him. JC, how you doing? Could you stand up a minute? 
and kind of spin around real slow. Oh, slow. Francis, can you read the back of his shirt? What does that mean? God bless. God is love. Is that what it means? Yeah. Way to come today. I, I didn't ask you in advance to do that. Um, sorry about that. But that's the way it is. And, and when we fear God, we'll wear shirts like that. Even though people look at you funny. I don't care. I got stickers on the side of my car that says, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. When, I, when people see it, I hope they see it. I park at a restaurant, and sometimes we're in there because we get the handicap because of my wife, and we're looking at the car, and people go, and I go, praise the Lord. They're looking at that. That's what they need to know, the fear of the Lord, to know him, who he is, respect him, and honor him with your life and exalt him. Praise the Lord. That's what life is all about. Now, having said that, and then the second part would be to honor him with your life. I want to live today in this time and age. I want to live for Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and Lord. I want him to be my Savior and my Lord, my Master. That's what it's all about. Now, the third part, should we actually be afraid of God? He's our Father. Has anybody ever been afraid of your father? Especially when I did wrong. My father, here's what my father would do. He'd start taking off his belt. I knew that was a bad sign, okay? He didn't do it because he wanted to hurt me. He did it because he wanted to direct me into something that was better. And my heard better than this one. I have to admit, <clears throat> I don't want to brag, but I was pretty much a good kid, and I'll tell you why. I always did wrong things and got caught every single time. And after a while, I gave up and said, if I'm going to get caught every time, it's not worth it. They go, oh, look, we've got a fine son here. Well, you don't know the whole story. Yes, we should fear God. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, the outside, that cannot kill the soul, the inside. He said, rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, the only time I'm going to be afraid of God is if I'm just thrown by the wayside, being casual about him, doing exactly what he doesn't want me to do, because he loves me enough to discipline me. He does the same thing. He loves you enough to discipline you if you belong to him. And the second part of that, the fear of the Lord, is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Understanding is the basis for wisdom. You've got to have understanding first. Oh, then, then you can appreciate what true wisdom is all about, these eternal riches. It's essentially to turn away from evil. God gave you a conscience. Your conscience tells you what's good and wrong good or wrong, good or right, right or wrong, good or evil. And listen to that. And then he gave us the word of God to make sure that we make sure that we truly understand what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is a lie, what is wise and what is foolish. And so now we're all accountable to that. So if you want to be involved in eternal riches that last forever,
for your soul. You need to fear God. And you need to turn away from evil. So what is that, how does that finish up here this morning for you? The very first thing you need to do, if you haven't done it yet, is the Bible teaches in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we are sinners. Isaiah 59, 2 talks about our, sin, our iniquities and our sins separating us from God and turning His face away from us so we can't see His face. We got a sin problem. I know most of you already know this and you have dealt with this sin problem because the Bible in Romans then teaches that the wages of our sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, separation from God, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I signed up for that back in 1975, a long time ago, and I'm rejoicing in that to this day. The gift of God. If you have not dealt with your sin problem here today, you can receive Jesus as your Savior, as many of us have, and get it fixed. For God so loved us that he gave us his Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved. And if you have never done that in your life, you could do that right now, this time, as I pray, and you can become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. If you do that, you're at the beginning of the fear of the Lord and the beginning of understanding. If you're still going like this, like I did for the first 25 years of my life, I was in trouble, and you're in trouble as well as far as eternity goes. And for those of us here, many of us, Many of us have made this decision and testimony and have a testimony for Jesus. I'll tell you what, let's put God in the place where he belongs in our life. Honor him, lift him up, exalt him, fear him. Yes, that is wisdom. And if there's any evil in your life and you know God's Holy Spirit will reveal to you, if there's any in your life, any evil pattern, any evil habit, any evil choices that you're making, give them over to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Let's pray. Maybe there's someone here today. You've never got your sin problem fixed. Would you humble yourself right now? Would you believe in your heart today that you're a sinner and you've done wrong? Would you believe that God sent an answer in his only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death for your sins and mine and the sins of the world. And you'll believe that he'll take that sin and the consequence of that sin and he will give you eternal life as the Bible promises. Would you surrender today and ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? Invite him in. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I now believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And I want to become his follower. Jesus, come into my life and save me today. Please save me today. I will give you my life. I will follow you. And those of us are praying that right now, maybe you're here as a believer 
and you have not been fearing the Lord. You have not been turning away from evil. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers for those of us who are still dancing with some evil in our lives. Oh, forgive us, Lord. Oh, Lord, cleanse us today that we might have a blameless and upright life, fearing God and turning away from evil. Let us follow in the footsteps of Job and be that kind of testimony. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. Oh, brother and sister, don't leave this morning. Don't go to bed tonight and if there's some sin problem that you know that you have to deal with and give it over to the Lord. Oh, Father, hear our prayers today in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody would like to talk to me, I'll hang around after service. And if you want to talk more about these things, I'd be pleased to. And I know there's others here who would as well. So if you have a question, don't hesitate to ask somebody here. Please. God bless you.